Podcasting for our health with NHS Blood and Transplant in association with Bristol African Caribbean Expo and BCFM Radio. Hosted by Primrose Granville, the accidental campaigner and broadcaster and producer, Pat Hart. Hi, everyone. Welcome to episode seven of Podcasting for Our Health with me, Primrose Granville, the accidental campaigner and the ever-present Patrick Hart, who is the producer and so much more to this podcast series. In this episode, we're going to talk about some really, really special stuff, aren't we, Pat? Prim, do you know what? When you say things like that to me, I think to myself, well, in all the other ones we've spoken about, really special stuff too, but you are absolutely right. And the beautiful thing is I'm learning along the way. We're going to speak uh, to a kidney registrar and we're going to find out about how special the kidneys are, of course, and the need for kidney and other organ donation. And we also talk to a sickle cell warrior as well. Just give us a little tease, Prim, and tell us what kind of stuff we're going to hear in this week's episode. So, Pat, we've got two very special guests, and these guests are special because, one, they're both of African heritage, and two, they're both passionate about donation in different ways. So, Wilf, as we call him, he likes us to call him Wilf, he is almost a kidney consultant but he's currently a registrar in training and he will talk to us about why at this time this end of year period the the season of goodwill the season of giving why we really ought to think about donating organs after we leave this space or even if we're able to when we're here and he appeals to us to think about it like that our second guest is a lady called Juliet, or Julie, as she calls herself. And she lives with sickle cell. And she is one of those individuals who have to have blood exchanges. She not only explains what a blood exchange is to us, she tells us how a normal day for her look and feel like. It's the first podcast that I have recorded where I have actually cried. Because when she describes the limitations, the medication, the exchanges, what actually happens to her when she goes to hospital to get that much needed blood and how frequent it is, my heart, it just, I don't know if it broke or if my heart opened up for her, but maybe both. And then she expresses her gratitude to people who give blood and the love for people who are donating blood that she's never met is so rich and beautiful. So I did cry tears. I think there were tears of joy that we have somebody like that. Mm. We have somebody like her talking to us. We're honoured. Do you know what, Prim? I get where you're coming from. I, I remember replaying in one of our earlier episodes, Misha Hemmings, when we spoke to her, and of course, COVID uh, took her far too soon. And, and there are even stories from people like Sean Wallace, the Dark Destroyer, and from Levi Roots in our pre previous episodes. And, you know, sometimes I think if you're not moved, and it doesn't necessarily have to be to tears, but if you're not moved, um, 
you can't be human these are these are human stories of of our from our communities and um things that i'm learning right away across you've been through uh, organ transplant you've been through that you can tell the story with authenticity whereas for me I, I can try and show compassion and I can try and show sympathy and empathy sorry not empathy but I can try and show sympathy but I'll never be able to go through these things and I and, and I feel in my heart every time I hear these stories from our sickle cell warriors from um, uh, the families of those who have donated those who, who who have gone and those like you who are still right here now brightening up our lives and educating us as well in terms of the importance of organ donation thank you pat and i think that is the essence of our podcast mm. and i would say when these podcasts finish pat we're not finished are we definitely not as you know as many people say and and that's with everything that's in terms of education about race um about the importance of of of, of black history this is something that goes on until our our, our final breaths we, we have to educate and until everybody knows until everybody understands the importance of organ donations i don't think we'll ever stop no i don't think so i don't think we know how <laughs> no. i'm primrose granville the Accidental Campaigner, podcasting for our health. I didn't set out to do this. However, I am the daughter and sister of transplant recipients. I'm the mother of someone who may one day need a transplant. And I am a transplant recipient myself. Hi, I'm Pat Hart, a broadcaster of mostly South Asian background, and I'm partnering with Primrose to produce this series of podcasts. Come on, tell us, uh, introduce our first guest, please, Prim. Our first guest is Dr. Wilf Okorafor. My name is Wilfred Okorafor, um, a kidney doctor. I'm in the final year of my training to become a consultant, and I'm based in the Southwest. You know, I'm originally from Nigeria, which means I have an Afro-Caribbean heritage. And, you know, I got sort of interested in this when you look at all the health inequalities that are core, particularly in um, reference to organ donation and the fact that, you know, we make a relatively minor proportion of the population of the UK. Uh, we have a higher need for organs. Um, you know, there are difficulties in getting those organs to, to our people. And that's why I got involved with this and was sort of involved in trying to get this down to members of our community. And I felt it would be a good idea to try as much as possible to offer whatever pieces of expertise I have to try and encourage people from our community to get involved with organ donation as much as possible. Thank you so much for that, Will. Some some really altruistic reasons for why you do what you do, and, and I like that. We're talking yeah. about the kidneys, and there are these two little beans that most people don't really know what they do. Can you tell us what our yeah. kidneys do and why they're so important? Yeah, so you're right. You've mentioned them as, <laughs> as the beans. You know, so you have sort of like bean-shaped structures that are located Somewhere within your tummy, I guess, in as simple a way as possible. And, uh, you know, they are connected to certain pipes to the bladder. And that's where we sort of pass urine from, for, you know, as an example. So the kidneys do a lot of things in the body. First of all, the, the simplest thing to say is to, to try and sort of arrange our fluid levels to try and make sure that we don't get a lot of fluid on board. And that's why you pass urine. So when you pass urine, that helps you to get rid of some of the fluid that you have on board. 
Another thing that the kidney does is helps you to regulate your electrolyte. And, you know, you hear about things about your potassium and your sodium, for example. And that's important because these body salts are also important in how the heart functions, how the muscles of the body function, to mention a few things. They also have a role in um, helping us keep a good supply of blood going on. So they produce a substance called erythropoietin that helps to keep the blood levels at reasonable levels. And so you could become quite anemic if your kidneys are not functioning. Secondary to this is the fact that in, a, in trying to regulate your fluid levels, the kidney is also important for your control of your blood pressure. And so a lot of people with kidney problems will tend to have um, a high blood pressure if, if the kidney function begins to get out of sync. So when you have kidney problems, because the kidney helps you to get rid of a lot of the waste products in the body, it helps to keep the balance right. If the kidneys have problems, then you begin to get lots of things that we sometimes see in people having a lot of fluid on board, and that can accumulates in your lungs so that you get breathless. They may find it difficult to maintain your good, your good blood pressure. The waste products accumulate and make you feel very sick. You have a loss of appetite. You could become quite nauseous. You, know, you could vomit, so you feel very sick. Some people have a lot of itching. A lot of people are anemic, and so you don't have a lot of strength, and it's difficult for you to sort of do those daily activities that you normally expect to be able to do as a normal, functional human being. Wilf, you, you mentioned something about organ donation earlier. Yeah. Why is organ donation so important, especially for members of the African Caribbean communities here yeah. in, in the UK? I mean, organ donation you know, means giving part of your body to someone else who needs it when their organ fails, and we call that a, a transplant, all right? There are lots of the body that could be and donated. You talk about the kidney, blood, you talk about the heart, liver, lung, corneas, lots of those things can be given. And why is it important for you to donate your organs? I think, you know, in the most basic way, you can save life, basically. Say so someone's lost an organ and you have the ability to give an organ to help them, that could save a life. And this is something that you can do that is free of cost. Um, you don't need to pay any money for that. It helps some people to overcome their fear of death or anxiety, um, you know, because going through that process of trying to help people can also increase the feeling of self-worth. I think it's the biggest charity work that any of us can do. Um, if you want to give back to your family, if you want to give back to society, I think that if you can donate an organ, that's the biggest thing you can do. And in certain instances, you know, when people die and the organs are used to save other people's lives. It can help your family try and make sense of their death in some way. Sometimes you can feel that at least your friend or someone has passed away and they were able to save their lives by doing that. Now, why is it important in our community for us to donate organs? Um, and I could give some figures, but we know that in terms of the population, uh, people from the African-Caribbean community from the last survey make up roughly about 3% of the UK population. But when it comes to requiring organs, they probably need about 10% of, of the organs that are, you know, that are needed. You know, when you think about the fact that you make up only 3% of the population, but when you need organs, you need make up a higher proportion of people who need organs. That tells you that there's, there's a bit of a problem. Donations from people from the Afro-Caribbean community has generally been at an all-time low. Before you can donate an organ, you need to make sure that the organ matches 
body doesn't reject that organ. And there's a greater chance of doing that when you're getting an organ from someone who is related to you in the sense of someone from a similar heritage, because that means your genetic makeup may be similar. This can also reduce the risk of rejection down the line. And so, you know, if we're able to donate organs, we can significantly reduce the amount of time that members of our community have to wait get an organ. I always say, talking about a kidney transplant, for example, we know that people from the Afro-Caribbean community generally have to wait at least a year longer for a kidney transplant as compared to people from the other ethnic, ethnic communities. If you can get an organ that can help you to overcome your feeling of unwellness and get you to be a productive member, also has a general way of being better economically for members from the Afro-Caribbean community too. My mother had a transplant. She waited nearly 14 years on dialysis. My sister also had a transplant. She waited nearly 10 years. My transplant arrived six months and one day after I was put on the transplant list. But I was so conditioned to wait for a long time that I actually had what I would call a robust conversation with the specialist nurse on organ donation called me to say, we have, we have a kidney for you. I said to her, no, you got it wrong. You've made a mistake. It's too soon. It's only been six months and a day. And, and I think she might've thought, is, is this patient for real? Is there an expectation because there are so few organs available in our communities that when we're not waiting forever, I know people who've waited 20 odd years for an organ. I know people who've yeah. waited, some people have waited 12, 15, 16, 14. And I will honestly say that when I got that call that Saturday morning, I felt that I had robbed somebody else. I felt that I hadn't suffered enough. I felt that it wasn't real. I felt it was a joke. I just felt that it wasn't happening because it was happening six months and one day later. And, you know, people say to me, why did you go on about the one day? And I say to them, because every single day you wait matters. And I still can't believe it happened so soon because I was actually conditioned to wait at least three years, Will. And that's where I, I come from with this story. How prevalent is that conditioning in our community? You raise a couple of um, very salient points which, you know, from what you said. You know, I'm quite glad. I think you're probably one of those stories that is probably an exception to the rule when you think about it. Basically, when it comes to kidney transplants, you know the average waiting times for kidney transplants are anywhere between two to three years. Or, you know, if you say the seed transplant, so just if you have someone who's alive, who's donating for you, then that probably takes the time down considerably because all you need to do is to make sure the, you know, you guys match appropriately and plan that in a, in a good manner. But, you know, you're quite right. Yeah, when you're awake for a transplant, you know, the time scale varies quite a bit. There's an average time scale. And I must say that in your own case, for whatever reason, I guess the simplest explanation I can say is that you were lucky to get it as quickly as you did. And you're quite right that there's an expectation usually from members from the African community. You may have to wait for a longer period of time to get a transplant. There's a general lack of organs. Organs are quite scarce. You know, when you're trying to match organs to people. It's quite a complex calculation, but a lot of factors come into place to make sure that you get the right kidney to the right person. And one of the things I consider is how does the kidney transplants match within different people? Because obviously as much as possible, if you can, you want to give a transplant that will match 
with someone else's. You don't want to give a transplant that is not going to match and you have problems arising down the line. When you don't have a lot of organs available, what that also means is that when the matching comes in, due to those complex calculations and the fact that probably you're not going to get as easily matched. And like you rightly mentioned, when you get it earlier, sometimes you, you know, it comes as a bit of a shock. You wonder if this is, I think it's a natural reaction sometimes because when people go on the transplant list to try and tell them this is probably going to take some time and it comes as a, I want to say pleasant shock, I guess, in your case, um, when this came in at a, at a shorter period. The conditioning that we have is part of the aim of what we're trying to do, try and get people to understand that if we're able to become donors, then there's a chance that we could also help to reduce the wait times for people for our community and help to re- reduce the chances of not getting organs. We are approaching the end of the year and in this country, the biggest celebration will be Christmas and we've got Christmas trees and under the trees there are lots of gifts. How special would it be if at this time of the year we start thinking about the gift of life for someone else who's suffering, someone who's languishing, someone who is desperate to go back to a normal life? What can we do further for people to understand just how special a gift this is and how wonderful it would be if you thought differently at this holiday season? In some ways, I sort of feel like you've said everything that needs to be said. Christmas is a giving season, isn't it? It's a period where we look about, you know, think about our, our friends, our family, uh, relatives and, 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 and members of our community and we try and celebrate the holidays and make everyone as happy and make everyone to feel welcome. And like you said, you know, there's no better way to do that than to think about, you know, in some ways, how can I go, you know, beyond doing the ordinary and as much as possible, try and make some of this, you know, I think I call it an extraordinary sacrifice. Anyone who does this to my mind is a hero and there are lots of heroes out there. And I think, you know, just to try and, I guess, pass the message along and say, you know, no one's too old to be considered for a donation. I think if it's something you think you want to do, it's worthwhile having a chat with, you know, with the doctor. It can start the process as a way of giving back to the community. So I think it's a time to reflect on that. Let our family be aware that this is something we, we want to do and we're quite keen to do. You know, have those conversations and celebrate Christmas knowing that we've given to all the members of our community. That was Dr. Wilf Okorafor who was appealing to us as African-Caribbean people to think about donating at this festive gift-giving time to give the gift of life to someone who might need it. Podcasting for our health with NHS Blood and Transplant in association with Bristol African-Caribbean Expo and BCFM Radio. Hosted by Primrose Granville, the accidental campaigner and broadcaster and producer Pat Hart. Amazing, Prim. Amazing. And you know what else I find amazing as well is that no matter how young or old we are, how much we learn on a daily basis. There are are things, you know, we know what kidneys are, we know what liver is. We say we know what they are, but do we really know what they do? And do we really know the tasks they perform um, within our bodies? That's what I find fascinating, learning about things every day and also how we can look after them as well. Mm. Well, Prim, so before we introduce our second guest on this uh, seventh episode 
of podcasting for our health. I want to ask you, what's the journey been like putting these podcasts together? Because we are at number seven already. You've spoken to some amazing people um, and we've covered so many different subjects. Are there there any episodes or any individual guests that stand out to you, Prim? I would have to say the episode with Michelle Hemmings. I think all the episodes stand out, but the episode with Michelle Hemmings was special in that one, she just left us. Two, we had her to listen to again and revive her in what she was best known for, appealing for people to donate organs. So that that episode sits somewhere very special for me. Mm. But all the episodes are powerful, Pat, because I have had conversations with people that I've known for years and I did not know how they felt about blood and organ donation. So I've learned every single time I spoke to someone. And thank you to everyone as well who has commented on these podcasts. And of course, uh, if whatever form you're listening on, whatever podcast format you're listening on, make sure that you subscribe uh, and you comment as well. If you subscribe, when the next episode is up, you get a notification. And if you comment, that will help us with our uh, feedback and our reaction and maybe help others too that are on their journey to learning all about blood and organ donation. Let's get guest number two on prim yes and guest number two is a very special lady juliet is one or julie is a young woman who lives with sickle cell disorder she's been receiving blood exchanges for a long long time she will tell you her story now i'm juliet is one i have sickle cell some people tend to call me a sickle cell warrior all i'm doing is trying to get the best for sickle cell patients and trying to see how we can achieve that together now you say you call yourself a sickle cell warrior why do you have to be a warrior for sickle cell because living with sickle cell opens your eyes to a lot one you tend to be in hospital a lot two the people you're hanging around are mostly medical staff, either in hospital or in the community. So because of this, a lot of interaction with the NHS, you start seeing the, the big player, they could go one step further, just a little step further, just to make it easier for a sickle cell patient. Because sickle cell disorder is one of the most complicated illnesses that very difficult to understand and it takes a lot of everything for goodness a lot of compassion love understanding really for someone to get what sickle cell is if i see a hole in a place something i know that can be filled in and made life easier for the next sickle cell patient i would love to be able or to participate in filling up that hole how i become a warrior that's how you've become a warrior. I really do like the term because warrior women are powerful women. They may not know it, but they are. Juliet, you are somebody who lives with sickle cell disorder. And we have to be clear, it's a disorder, not a disease. Yeah, and you rely on frequent exchanges. Can you explain to me what is an exchange from a patient perspective, please? With sickle cell, the best treatment we have 
at the minute, in the UK, is what we call a red cell agent. So I'll try and explain it in the most lemon way I can make it for everyone to understand, even myself to understand it. Basically, because our cells are sickle, so what they do is this exchange. They try to remove the cells that are sickle and give you the normal cells. It's not a blood transfusion. It's a little bit more complicated. So imagine draining you of all the cells that are not whole and giving you something to replace that. So that is a red cell exchange. And because it's a little bit more complicated than a transfusion, we will use a lot more units of blood for one single exchange than just having two units of a transfusion. So, yeah, the differences in the technicalities and the amount of blood used in a session. Juliet, can you describe a typical day in your life for me? Just a normal day, not a day when you're actually having a crisis. Okay, let's assume there's no COVID. A normal day, one, you wake up and as soon as your eyes open, the first thing that you will feel as a sick or sore person is fatigue. That's the first thing. You wake up and you're doing your morning stretch. You are so knackered. It's like you are working the whole night. That is just one of the characteristics of sickle cell. We live with fatigue. So you're really tired when you wake up. And then you have to try and put something into that day. Because on days when you're poorly, you're going to spend most of them in the house. I like going for walk. I really love my walk because they clear my head. They, the pain is there, but you just walk through the pain. So I wake up on a normal day, really knackered. Thankfully, I have someone who helps me around. Once everything is sorted in the house, housework and all that, and then I go for my walk. Sometimes they are long, sometimes they are short, but depending on how I'm feeling on the day. That is basically my typical day, really. After your walk, what would you do? Oh, I'll be triple knackered. I just come and fall on the couch and rest. My rest takes about three hours or something. So, so yeah, when once I get back, I, I I relax a bit, like try to rest, and because I'm really really tired. What happens after you have had your relaxation? Are you still knackered? Very, very fatigued. Very, very tired. I personally feel fatigued to the extent that you feel like your feet are heavy. You're just so tired. I mean, if you tell someone, like, guys, I'm tired, and you've just woken up, everyone thinks there's something wrong with you. You've just gotten out of bed. So after work, get back in, especially in the winter now, have a cup of tea, cover myself with loads of blankets to warm up. And then once I have warmed up, of course, during that process, a lot of medication I am taking for pain, for this, for that. And after that process, I love my tea anyway. I have loads of cups of tea. And yeah, I'm, I'm ready for bed. I, I do my, my reading and all that, such things, things I do before bed. So it's, it's just a day full of fatigue on a normal day. Absolutely. Let's go to a day, Juliet, when you're heading for or in a crisis. What happens? Every single patient is different. But for me, I know when it's coming, what we call a sickle cell crisis, 
there are certain things I feel in my body and I can tell it is coming. And it depends on those feelers. There are some feelers you feel and it's like, okay, this is not so bad. And then there are some symptoms which are just awful. Where so, you know, it's going to be a big crisis. So once I start feeling that, immediately I start taking whatever I've been prescribed for it. And if it doesn't respond to what I'm taking, I immediately have to call Bristol Oncology and Hematology Center and inform them that things are bad. I think I'm going to be coming in. My procedure is I have to call them first before I call ambulance. And then once I've spoken to them, and then I call the ambulance, and then they pick me up, and then straight to hospitalization. Juliet, what takes you out of a crisis? So, Juliet, I want to find out what takes you out of a crisis. When I'm in a crisis, the only thing they have to do to get me out of the hospital is a red cell second. Is that the blood? Yeah. That is the blood, and that's lots of blood, because majorly, I use over seven units of blood, seven. And because we are, I've been using this blood a lot, I started having red cell exchange in December 2009 when I had a stroke. And because I've been using this blood, imagine from 2009 to death, different people's bloods are getting into me. So I have what they call antibodies. And because of the antibodies, that complicates it a little bit more. They have the cross match process is a little bit more complicated and I think it takes much longer for them to be able to get those seven units together. And if I'm going for an exchange, I know I use seven units, but they have to prepare a little bit more than seven units just in case. So basically what I'm trying to put forward is I use a lot of blood and I use, in quote, special blood. So it is much easier if more black people would give blood because the more black people give blood, the easier it is for them to get those units together for a sickle cell patient. I'm a Christian, so I'll say what's with me is God. But what also God has given me is the red cell exchange. I live on red cell exchange every six weeks. So every six weeks, I need over seven units of very special blood to be put together. Let me just ask you, Juliet, for those six-week book exchanges, can you also go into crisis in between? Yes, I have. So one sickle cell warrior who could, in a six-week period, use over 21 units of blood. Yes, and because of that, I appreciate all of you, all of you out there who are giving blood, all my black brothers and sisters, all the other races who are giving Thank you. It means a lot. And you may not say it, but it saves a life. It saves me. So thank you. And please continue giving. Julia, what would happen if you couldn't get the right blood at a time when you were in a crisis? Worst case scenario is there's nothing else they would do but watch me get out of this world. During this time, Christmas time, as we all hear it, it's a time of miracles. It's the time. So I just want to say to all of you who are out there, if you can, please donate your blood. A special message to the 
black community, African, Caribbean, all of you, we are all one. Please go and give blood, that blood, especially, especially that because of race is really good for us, the sickle cell patients. And as you all know, sickle cell is mostly among us, the black and Asian community. So do a miracle for one of your sisters and brothers. Do a miracle for me. I live on your blood. Your blood keeps me going. I know when you give blood, maybe you don't see what it's doing, but I here is one person you should see and hear and know that your blood is making me possible. And I really want to thank you. Thank you so much for taking your time. I always say this, blood is the most precious thing I own. <laughs> not gold, not silver, not diamond, blood. So thank you for giving me one of the most precious things you own. That was Juliet. Julie is one. Thanking everyone who donates blood for helping her to stay with us. Lovely, lovely lady. Wow, Prim, you've caught some amazing, amazing interviews on this episode seven of Podcasting for Our Health. Now, it is that season, all right? For many, many will be celebrating Christmas. Uh, others will just be celebrating a holiday season. Others will be at the end of this year celebrating Kwanzaa as well. And when you think about it, just, just for a second, calculate how much money you and your neighbours and your family and everyone along the street would have spent buying each other presents over Christmas, right? For you, it might be hundreds. For the street, it might be thousands or hundreds of thousands. For the city you live in, it certainly will be millions. And for the country in which we live in, it will be billions. So worldwide, possibly trillions. We spend all of that money trying to make each other happy, our loved ones, the people that we care about. And they do the same thing to us right now a present or something that would cost nothing and would give the gift of life what an idea that could be prim absolutely pat blood and organ donation costs the givers practically nothing might be an inconvenience it might be a little unwell depending on what they donate but it actually costs nothing and it creates so many opportunities to impact life the economy, continuity, and families. What a beautiful gift that is. Mm. And what a beautiful way to end episode seven of Podcasting for Our Health. Primrose, as always, you've been amazing. We'll join you again next time. Thank you, Pat. And you're amazing too. <laughs> Let's do something different and end with a song written by a Bristolian. It's the Be Positive Choir and Hallelujah.
Podcasting for Our Health with NHS Blood and Transplant in association with Bristol African Caribbean Expo and BCFM Radio. Hosted by Primrose Granville, the accidental campaigner and broadcaster and producer Pat Hart.